prophet Micah had proclaimed the city of his birth.
What an understanding that God has given us. And may it never become old hat. Never, never, never. I want to read to you tonight from out of the book of St. John. Out of the book of St. John in the writings of Apostle John. But we're going to read about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist and Apostle John were two different men. Chapter 1. St. John chapter 1. little lengthy reading here, but I want you to catch what is being said. I'm going to begin at verse 6, chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not, and they don't know him tonight. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. He hath revealed God. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed, 
and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias or Elijah? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Beth Abara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, Jesus seeth, or John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And Lord, we thank you for tonight and that you have given each of us breath and heartbeat and health in our bodies that we might be found in this house on Sunday night. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for health. Thank you for the breath of life. Thank you for every heartbeat. Thank you for desire. Thank you for faith in you. Thank you for the work of the Holy Ghost among us even tonight. And thank you for the Word of God that we have just read. And Lord, even now, give us ears to hear what the Holy Ghost would say unto us in this Sunday night service. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. I want to preach tonight on this subject, the indispensable, inseparable twins 
of divine revelation. The indispensable, inseparable twins of divine revelation. The indispensable, inseparable twins of divine revelation. How many of you heard what I said? How many of you can say it? The indispensable, inseparable twins of divine revelation. In fact, they're Siamese twins. Go with me back again in the beginning. Back in the beginning, God brought many things into the sphere of planet Earth to have an influence on this Earth and its inhabitants. I hope I didn't lose you with the title of this message tonight. Some of you are looking off in the distance somewhere. I want to tell you what it is again. The indispensable, inseparable twins of divine revelation. That's not a great big thing you scratch your head off out here for. It's pregnant with truth. Now follow me. God brought many things into the sphere of planet Earth to have a bearing on planet Earth and its inhabitants way back in the beginning. He brought the sun, the moon, the stars to have an influence on planet Earth. And they do. It's a mighty good thing the sun is not any closer to this planet than what it is at 93 million miles away. Or some parts of our planet couldn't stand it. There are some places on planet Earth that it gets well over 100 degrees in the summertime. In fact, we don't have to go too far from here down into the southern part of this nation where they'll have temperatures 130 and 135 degrees in the sunshine. And a lot of folks don't only have heat strokes, they die. God knew exactly what he was doing when he built the sun and put it in our galaxy and as far away as it is from planet Earth at 93 million miles away. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he hung the moon out there in uh, its orbit, 240,000 miles away. It is only three-fourths the size of planet Earth. It is smaller than our, pla than our planet. But 
The moon has no light of itself, apparently. The moon's light is a reflection from the sun. And then on top of that, he put all the stars out there that are shining tonight. And the Bible said he called them all by name. Now, God did this for all of these things to have an influence on planet Earth. He brought all these things to bear on our planet. Now, just follow me. And then, to compound the interest, he started dealing with planet Earth. And the Bible said it was without form and void. It was a shapeless mass hanging in the heavens without form and void. The earth had no form and it was empty. And God moved upon it. The Spirit of God moved upon planet earth. The Spirit of God moved upon that shapeless, formless mass of mud and rock and gases hanging in the universe in its orbit. And His Spirit moved on it. And when His Spirit moved on it, things begin to happen. Changes begin to take place. He took that shapeless, formless mass of mud and rock and gases and developed them and formed them according to His will and power. A miracle of creation in his, in his own rights. And after he did that, he comes along and creates the seven creative days. I'm not going into all of them. I'm just going to mention a few things. He created in seven days the things that he brought to bear in planet earth and its inhabitants. He created, put all the land in one place and he put all the water in one place because his spirit moved. Now, while I'm journeying, let me say this to you. Everybody look at me. You don't ever want to get to a place that when the presence of God is moving, that you stiff arm Him. And you resist Him. And you shrug your shoulder at the moving of the Holy Ghost. You can practice that so long till He won't deal with you no more. I'm talking to everybody in the house. I'm talking to the saved and I'm talking to the sinner in the house tonight. You can practice resistance so long until he will not deal with you again. 
and sometimes he has mercy. I remember when pastoring in Oklahoma City, our church secretary had an unsaved husband, and he seldom came to church. They were older people. They were people who just really stayed in the background. You never saw Sister McElhaney out in the limelight. She didn't like the limelight. She was a background person, but she was a tremendous sec secretary for our church. And once in a while, her husband would come, a man probably 50, 55, 60 years old, would come to church. And he got where he came quite regular. But I felt sorry for the man, for he always had that, that beagle dog look on his face. Just, just sad look on his countenance. Just so sad, so pitiful. He was a different man, a strange man. And I never will forget after the years I was there, Oscar McElhaney came up to me one night and he looked me in the face. Looked me in the face and had such a grief in his countenance. And he said to me, he said, Pastor King, God never deals with me anymore. God never deals with me anymore. That is the worst loss anybody can sustain when God never deals with you anymore. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how broad your education might be. It doesn't matter how high up you are in society. If God never deals with you, honey, that's the worst loss you can sustain. And if you claim the baptism of the Holy Ghost and God never moves on you, I'd be scared. I'd be afraid. I would be worried. I said, I would be worried. You don't ever want to allow yourself to harden your heart and your spirit to where God doesn't deal with you anymore. He took shapeless, formless earth hanging in its orbit and his spirit moved on it and he developed it and made it what he wanted it to be by the moving of his spirit. He'll do the same for us if we let him, if we submit, if we yield to him. After he put all the earth in its location and the seas in their locations and he comes along and in his seven created days he makes the whales and he makes the sharks and he makes the red snappers and he makes the tuna fish and he makes the halibut and makes the salmon and he makes the trout and he makes the squid Scott and the octopus and the shrimp and he makes all those things and puts them in the seas and 
for the benefit and the influence and the help of men, people. He makes the deer and he makes the elk and he makes the badger and the beaver and he makes the lion and he makes the bear and he makes the elk and he makes the moose and he makes the elephant and he makes the giraffe and he makes that funny thing called the monkey and all to influence us. He put them all there. He made the duck and he made the goose and he made the crane and he made the swallow and he made the middle lark and he made the red robin and uh, he made the pelican and he made the seagull and he made all these things and put them inside the confines of their nature and the laws he designated for them to benefit us. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And made all that stuff. Made all that stuff. And then... He made a man. Now all the other things he spoke into existence with his powerful word. He spoke all of that into existence. He took nothing and made something. But when he came to mankind, he scooped up a ball of dust or dirt or mud and fashioned Adam. He took a little time with that. A little more detail and specifics with that. And leaned him up over there against the fence. And the Bible said he breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. And here he is, a man made in the image of God. The very image of God, not the image of monkeys. Didn't come from a tadpole. Didn't crawl up from a slimy old bank somewhere and, and develop evolutionally into what he was standing. He was made in the image of God by the creative power of God Almighty. Yes, he was. I didn't come from a tadpole. I didn't come from a monkey. I made in the image of God. In the image of God made he male and female. God brought Adam into this planet. God by his will and purpose brought him into this planet. And I don't know what you believe and I don't really care. But mankind is the highest order of God's creation. I've got a soul. You've got a soul. I've got a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere, either with the angels in heaven or the demons in hell. But dogs don't have a soul. 
Cats don't have a soul. Lions don't have a soul. Goldfish don't have a soul. A parakeet don't have a soul. I've got a soul. You've got a soul. God put a soul within us. What are you doing with your soul? How well are you treating your soul that's going to inhabit eternity? Our district superintendent in Oklahoma, Brother C.A. Nelson, was called on one time to preach the funeral of twin babies. And all they had was a graveside service. Twin babies. When the little graveside service was over, Somebody in that congregation walked up to Elder Nelson and said, Brother Nelson, did these babies have a soul? He stepped up over, or stepped over to the funeral director and he asked the funeral director, he said, did these babies live? And the funeral director said, yes. One of them lived about 30 minutes. And I forget how long the other one lived. And Elder Nelson turned back to the one who was asking the question and said, yes, they had a soul. They lived. They breathed. They had heartbeat for just a little span of time. How big is the soul? How much does it weigh? And Elder Nelson asked the funeral director, does the body weigh more before death? Or does it weigh more or less after death? He said it weighs the same. So soul has no weight. But we've got a soul. God put it in us. You didn't ask for it, but you've got it. God put it in you. He put it in there. He invested it, and he wants us to treat our soul right. Better than we treat anything else. Yes, your soul is going to eternity. You can't stop that. You can't prevent it. Hang on to the railing as tight as you want to, but it's going to happen just as sure as we're in this house on this Sunday night. God took that ball of mud, fashioned it, shaped it, into the image like he knew he would have when Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. That was God's body. And God knew in advance what his body was going to look like, born of Mary, and he made Adam in that same, same shape and mold. Therefore, he's called the first man Adam, and that's the second man Adam. The first man Adam was of the earth, earthy. The second man, Adam, was the Lord from glory. 
praise God tonight. Then the Lord watched Adam. The Lord gave him something to do, put him to work, gave him responsibility, and I won't go into all that. But then all of a sudden the Lord backed away and said, hmm, you know, things have been pretty good up to now. But I don't like what I see. It's not good for Adam to be by himself. He needs a companion. He needs a help meet for him. Somebody that can assist him in his, what he's doing. And so God put him to sleep and took a rib out of his rib cage and fashioned the woman. And Adam eventually called her Eve. And the Bible said God brought her to him. And this was to be bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. This was to be his wife and help meet, not help mate, help meet to assist him in whatever he was doing. If he's going to be a banker, she's to be a banker's wife. If he's going to be a farmer, she's going to be the farmer's wife. If, she, if he's going to be a preacher, she's going to be the preacher's wife. That was the original intent and purpose of God when he made the woman to be a helper to her husband. Not that he was to lay in the hammock and let her do all the work. That wasn't what God had in mind. Say, praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, then along comes, and I really wish I was an evangelist, but I'm not, so we'll just quit on that, give up on that. I, I've, I've given up on that a long time ago. I don't know how to be an evangelist. I'm just a preacher and a pastor. Amen. And I'm trying to feed you with something tonight. Sometimes I take a long time getting there. Journey went on. Along came Noah. And Noah obtained favor of the Lord. Time went on. Along came Abraham. And Abraham obtained favor of the Lord. Time marched on a little farther. And this guy by the name of, uh, of Moses came along. Moses. God brought Moses into the scene. And I read in your hearing tonight where the Bible says the law came by Moses. The law was given by Moses. The law in verse 17 was given by Moses. Ceremonial laws, dietary laws, laws relative to the priesthood, laws concerning sacrifice, moral laws. I mean, they had laws, 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 laws. But get this, quite often, there wasn't truth with those laws. And we're living in a day when we're loaded with multitudes of laws and so many of them have no truth in them whatever. No. 
Just because a thing's a law doesn't necessarily say that it's truth. And I'm going to run it by you again. The law was given by Moses. God allowed the law to be given to him up on Mount Sinai and he brought it to the nation of Israel by the will of God but quite often the law had no truth in it. And after so long a time God Almighty recognized this. And if you read the book of Hebrews, the Bible says God himself found fault with that first covenant. He found fault with the law that was given to Moses because the law didn't really help people. It only condemned people. It only showed people their failings, their faults, their weaknesses, their sins. For instance, you know what the law said? The law said you weren't supposed to pick up sticks on Sunday. And the Jews caught a Hebrew picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And you know what the law said to do to that guy? Kill him. And they took him out and killed him. Well, where was truth in that? Where was grace in that? Wasn't there. Quite often, there was no truth mingled with the law. And more often than not, there was no grace either. The law came by Moses. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying tonight. The law came by Moses. But, I like that, conjunction, but, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I'm happy we're not living under the law. I'm glad we're not back there under those ceremonial practices and sacrificial practices. We're over here on the other side of it where grace and truth have been made available to whoever. And we're not under that old cold-blooded, heartless law. Now watch this. When God brought Jesus Christ into this world through that back door of Bethlehem, and the world didn't even know he had come, the world knew that Princess Diana was killed in a car wreck. The world knew it. The world knew it. I read the other day, in fact, I've got a copy of it, where her picture appeared on it was either 55 or 60 covers of magazines. The world knew Princess Diana had been so needlessly killed. And what a turnout for a funeral. From all over the world, 
In fact, the florists in London, England ran out of flowers. They were buying them up and placing them at Kensington Palace and you could just see them by the, by the thousands of flowers, bouquets that had been placed at her dwelling place. The world knew that she had died an untimely death at uh, 30 whatever years of age she was, 36 or so. But folks, the world did not know the night that Jesus Christ was born. The greatest event in all of human history was his birth and then his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension into the heavens to send back salvation to you and I. Greatest event. You know what the law said? Some of you would have a hard time with this. Under the law of Moses, you could only travel 660 feet on the Sabbath. I mean, the Lord said, hey, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and don't go too far. All they could go was an eighth of a mile on the Sabbath day. How far did you drive today? Do you know what the law said? The law said that the farmer couldn't plow with one kind of an animal to another one hooked up. Didn't necessarily mean there's truth involved. Just was law. Just the law, that's all. The law said, you ladies that sew, there are certain materials you couldn't mingle with other materials when you sewed a garment together. The law said, that's a no-no. But why? Don't know why. The law said, no. Sorry about that. How'd you like to live under the law? And so many other things like this. The law came by Moses. But folks, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now follow me. Follow me, follow me. I like this. Everywhere Jesus went, everywhere Jesus went, there went grace and truth. Everywhere he walked, every town he went into, every home, every crowd he encountered, it was grace and truth on the march. Grace and truth had come. Grace and truth was being made available. Grace and truth was, was making itself available to whoever and whatever the need might be because the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Oh, glory, glory, glory. I'm glad we're living tonight in this hour, in this age. I'm glad we're living in. And I want you to know something else. Quite often when he was on the march, grace and truth 
was bumping into the law. Grace and truth bumping into the law. Grace and truth bumping into the law. Grace and truth never did have sweet fellowship with the law. The grace and truth of Jesus Christ was in constant confrontation with the law of Moses. Now watch it. Let's watch the law and let's watch grace and truth. Jesus is at the temple. And the religious big shots, the law keepers, those that are so rigid with the law of Moses, they caught a woman in the very act of adultery. They captured her, took her away from her lover, and they brought her to Jesus in front of the whole crowd. And the law spoke up and said, Master, Moses in the law said, Stone her to death. We caught her in the very act of sexual adultery. And what do you say? Hey, there wasn't any truth and there wasn't any grace. Law was standing there, tight-fisted, regimented, ready to pounce on that woman because the law said, kill her, kill her, kill her. Master, what do you say? <laughs> He didn't say anything. <laughs> he didn't say anything. He just stooped down on the ground and doodled. We don't know what he wrote on the ground. Bible doesn't tell us what he He took his finger and wrote in the dirt. I wonder what he wrote. He was having fun. The law wanted to kill this woman. The law demanded she die. The law of Moses said we caught her in the act. She's worthy of death. What do you say, Master? Finally looked up at all her accusers and he said, he that's without sin, let him throw the first rock. And he went back to doodling. <laughs> and he doodled some more. <laughs> he gave those, time, those guys time to leave. He gave those fellas an opportunity to get gone. And when he when he lifted his little self up and looked at all of them. She's the only one there. This is when grace and truth met the law head on and sent the law scampering. And Jesus looked at this adulterous woman and said, Woman, 
where are your accusers? She said, I don't have any. They're gone. Jesus didn't violate the law. He just brought grace and truth to bear against the problem. He never condoned her sin or sanctioned her sin. He just brought grace and truth to bear against the problem of adultery. That's the kind of a Lord Jesus we serve tonight. Are you all with me? And Jesus perhaps stood to his feet and he looked at the la little lady and well the Bible says from the from the what? From the eldest to the youngest of her accusers and I don't know how many men were lined up there accusing her having caught her in the very act but from the eldest to the youngest had marched away and slithered away oh man did he ever read their mail when he said he that's without sin let him throw the first rock their conscience preached to them they had enough conscience that truth and grace could talk to them and they marched away and slithered away because they was guilty, 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 guilty. And when Jesus was left alone in, with that woman in front of that congregation there by the temple, he said to her, Woman, neither do I condemn thee. I didn't come to condemn you. You read what he said to Nicodemus in Acts or in St. John 3. And he said he didn't come to condemn. Jesus Christ never came to condemn. I wonder if you folks are hearing me tonight. Are you all hearing me tonight? Are you going to hear what I'm about to say? The church in the world is not here to condemn the world. God never put the church in the world to condemn the world. Don't get on the world about their sins. Don't get on them about their sinful habits. Let God take care of that. Point them to Jesus Christ. Point them to the gospel. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. But don't condemn them. Don't condemn them. Don't condemn them. That's not why the church is here. Somebody say praise the Lord. Woman, neither do I condemn you, but go and don't just sin anymore. Don't be doing this anymore that you've been involved in. And that woman left the presence of Jesus Christ with a load lifted and condemnation vanished because she had encountered grace and truth when the law would have put her to death. Lift your hands and let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God, to be like you. To be like you, to be like you. To be like you, to be like you. 
I think it's worthy of my repeating again tonight. Too many Pentecostals are guilty of cleaning their fish before they ever catch them. You can't clean a fish until you catch it. I hope you all heard me. Too many Pentecostals are guilty of trying to clean their fish before they ever catch them. God says, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Everybody listen. He did not say, I will make you keepers of an aquarium. He didn't say, I'll make you keepers of an aquarium. I'll make you fishers of men. And God wants us to fish for men. And he that wins souls is wise. Don't clean your fish till you catch them. Praise the Lord. Everywhere Jesus went, grace and truth were on the march. Now, listen to this. It didn't say truth and grace. It said grace and truth. Grace preceded truth. Sometimes if we're not careful, we want to romp on somebody we're witnessing to. Boom! We hit them with the gospel. Bang! Hit them over the head with the gospel trying to win them when God says hey let the grace of God precede truth everybody listen you've got to win them to you before you'll ever win them to the Lord what are you doing to win them to you in order to win them to the Lord It's just as right as it can be. You've got to win their confidence. You've got to win their trust. You've got to show them if you're working with them that you really are a Christian. Your attitudes are godly and you behave yourself like a born again child of God behaves. Come on church. Come on. Amen. Amen. If you're living a double life, you're not going to win them. I don't care how much gospel you preach to them. Forget it. They can't hear what you're saying for looking at the way you're living. Did you hear me? The Bible says, The law was given by Moses. Cold-blooded, heartless, calculated law. No mercy. No grace. No kindness in it. I think about the 24th chapter of Leviticus. I watch this. A Hebrew boy got in a fight with a half-breed. And this half-breed's parents, his mama was a Jew and his dad was an Egyptian. 
and the half-breed got in a fight with a Jew. And some of the fellas broke the fight up and brought him to Moses. Brought the half-breed to Moses. And said, hey, this fella here, he blasphemed. He cursed. He used the name of the Lord in vain. Moses, what shall we do with him? Moses went to the Lord, and the Lord said, Moses, put him in jail till I give you an answer. And they put him in jail. And God gave Moses an answer and said, Bring him out and let those who saw it and who heard it pick up stones and stone him to death and put evil away from Israel and that everybody else might fear. And that's what they did. Ruthless cold not another opportunity but folks thank God the law ceased at Calvary the law stopped at Calvary but the priesthood continued it on after Calvary and everywhere Jesus went mercy grace and truth were on the march Every house he went into, every city, every synagogue, every meeting, grace and truth was on the march. Grace and truth was bumping into the law, banging heads with the law. I mean, they were having out. What a confrontation. What a battle. Everywhere grace and truth went, bumping into the cold-blooded law. And most of the time winning. <laughs> we live in an hour when we've got churches across America tonight that are heavy on grace and omit truth. On the other hand, we've got some Pentecostals that are heavy on truth and omit grace. But hey, they're Siamese twins. They can't be separated. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I like that. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Oh, oh, my heart, my heart aches tonight. My heart aches tonight because we haven't learned this yet in our church. You know how I know we haven't learned it? The way we treat one another. I'm not nearly right. I'm right. God allows things to arise among us 
and somebody loses their temper and gets mad, where's grace and truth? If grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, he wants grace and truth to come by the church. The world ought to see his grace and truth emanating from my life and your lives. And from this congregation collectively and corporately, grace and truth ought to flow out of us as we deal with one another. Oh, Brother King, yeah, what's the matter? Man, Pastor, you don't understand. They barred my hammer and didn't return it. And now they say the hammer's there. And it just makes me plumb mad. Oh, is that right? Where's your grace and truth? Where is your grace and truth to handle it like God wants you to handle it? Now, folks, I'm preaching right where we live. Some of you folks haven't learned yet that God wants you to bring your old beastly temper under the influence of grace and truth. Oh, I'm doing good tonight, but I'm not doing any good unless he's doing it. I hope you hear what the Holy Ghost is saying to this church. Hey, do you have war at your house? Is there war between the husband and the wife? Is there war between the parents and the kids? War? Where's grace and truth? Grace and truth ought to be in the middle of your home. Your home ought to be a mini heaven on earth. Grace and truth in your hearts, in your spirit, influencing your behavior, influencing your activity, influencing your attitudes one toward another. Like the old man in Morris, Oklahoma. in our church there his wife was dead he had a handicapped son that was 40 years old and old daddy Norwood he lived about three blocks from the church it was such a beautiful thing to see that white haired elder white haired elder go into the prayer room and pray and hear him weep before the Lord beautiful thing to hear old daddy Norwood but all of a sudden he quit church he just stopped and I began missing him. I went over to his house. He invited me in. I said, Brother Norwood, I've been missing you at church. And boy, when I said that, that bitterness just come out of him. Pastor King, there's a man in that church that owes me $2.50 for a lawnmower, and I hope he goes to hell. You laugh. He was bitter. 
it was destroying his soul. It was a cancer to his inward person. Somebody in the church owed him $2.50 for a lawnmower, and he was bitter to the point of he left church and wasn't coming back, and I don't think the old man ever did come back while I was there. Where's grace and truth? Somebody said, Pastor, I've lost tools at the church. Some of the men have taken them. Well, hey, look at me. I've lost tools here too that never got back. And I'm really bitter. I am so mad I could bite the heads off of nails. I'm really mad. Yeah, I've lost tools here. I've loaned tools and never had them come back. But I don't want to let something like that get in my heart and my spirit and drag me down and take my victory from me. There isn't anything worth that. Come on, church. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth marched into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And everywhere he went, he confronted the cold-blooded law. Why, on the Sabbath day, he walked into a Jewish synagogue. Jesus did. And the rabbi in the synagogue asked him to preach that morning. And so Jesus walked to the podium, if they had one. He took his text. He read to them the scripture. And when he got done, at the rabbi's request, he started preaching to that synagogue. And, and he stopped. He saw a lady sitting in the seat that was all bent over. And he said, uh, lady, come here. And she got up in her crippled, bound condition and came down to where Jesus was in front of all those people. And your Bible said he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made whole and she began to glorify God in that synagogue. I can see that woman who was bound, crippled, in that condition, staggering down to where he was, putting his hands on her. She's delivered and now she's liberated to worship and glorify God in the house of the Lord. That's what grace and truth did. Grace and truth marched in there that morning and would have given them revival if they'd only accepted it. But the old rabbi jumped to his feet, mad as a hornet. He looked at his congregation. He said, listen, church, there's six days to get your healing in and not on the Sabbath. That's the law. You can't get healing on the Sabbath. 
that guy was nuts. How long had that woman sat in that synagogue? Bound, crippled, helpless, under the law of Moses. But here come grace and truth. He invited grace and truth into his pulpit. He gave grace and truth a privilege to preach. And grace and truth was so beautiful that Sabbath morning. And he spotted this needy woman. And grace and truth said, come here, lady. Come here. And, and after the old rabbi did what he did, blew his stack, showed his old ugly spirit. Pastor of the church. Jesus turned around and looked at him. You hypocrite. Well, if you want to read it, it's in Luke, the 13th chapter. Jesus called him a hypocrite in front of his whole congregation. And Jesus went on to say to the rascal, he said, listen, this woman is a daughter of Abraham, and she's been bound for 18 years. And don't you think that she should be loosed on this Sabbath day, law or no law? And do you know what? That whole church went bonkers. Read the 13th chapter of Luke. I mean, he put a stop to his adversaries and they all began to glorify God because grace and truth had come to their church that morning. This is song. Some of you are probably not going to like me for this. But I want, you to, I want you to hear this. How many times has he come marching into this place? And we've got needs. And we don't do a thing about it. Because we don't believe he can. We come here week after week. And go through our routine. And some of us are hurting so bad, whether it's in our hearts, whether it's in our spirit, whether it's in our body, whether it's in our marriage, in our finances, in our social reaction with others. But we don't let grace and truth minister to us like he wants to. And as it's been said, you can sit right here on your pew and backslide and lose out with God. Amazing grace, how sweet the very sound that saved our wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found I was blind but now I see 
twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieve how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believe. Think with me. The indispensable, inseparable twins of divine revelation are grace and truth. It's impossible to divorce grace from his truth impossible to divorce his truth from his grace they come together i want to say it again we're living in a world where there's a bunch of people in churches tonight that are heavy on grace but they reject truth you cannot reject truth without rejecting grace they are inseparable. They are Siamese twins of divine revelation, of divine purpose, and they're spawned by the love of God. Oh, don't you forget it. Don't you forget it. You may run into them tomorrow. We've got people in our society that think and believe that grace allows you to do anything. Grace will not let you go past truth. I said grace will not let you go past truth. And truth is not so hard-nosed and rigid that she'll go past grace. Grace and truth are married and nobody can divorce them. And God wants that balance in us. In us individually and in us corporately. Grace and truth. Oh, folks, incorporate it into your life incorporated into your activity with each other incorporated into your interaction your relationships your fellowship hey 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 incorporated into your home if you'll put it in your home it's a whole lot easier to do it with everybody else grace and truth we're not under the law we're not under the law we're not under the law. We got something better than the law. More valuable than the law. More esteemed than the law. Grace and truth. Mm. Amazing grace. How sweet 
the sun that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. This altar is open. Anybody that would want to come and pray and talk to him about what you've heard and its dealings with you. The indispensable, inseparable twins of divine revelation. The Siamese twins of grace and truth. Oh, let's talk to Jesus tonight. Let's talk to Jesus tonight. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Oh, it's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see